Oh, thank you so much, Brad. I uh, did a wonderful job with a beautiful song. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple of stories uh, from uh, those chapters together, Mark chapter 2 and 3. I want to share with you a message this morning that I've titled, Three Things That Jesus Wants From You. And uh, I believe with all my heart, for every single individual in this sanctuary today, there are these three things that Jesus wants from you. From you. And I don't mean it in the sense of I'm just going to throw it out there and see whoever it's for. I mean, literally, for each one of you, I can say from God's word that Jesus wants these things from you. Now, many of you have heard the question that was so popular a couple of decades ago what would Jesus do? This sparked a movement. And uh, remember the little bracelets everyone wore? What would Jesus do was the question. Today, the question is what does Jesus want? And I want to tell you three different stories, and from each one, point out one thing that we can say for certain He wants from you. The first thing Jesus wants from you is your faith. Jesus wants you to trust in Him. Now, if you're here this morning and you say, well, I have faith, so I'm good to go. Let's move on to point number two. Well, let me share with you what I mean when I say He wants your faith. What kind of faith? And what does that faith look like? And if I were to have that faith, what sort of difference would it make in my life? Well, let's look at Mark chapter 2 at a story we became familiar with last week somewhat. But let me read it again and just make a couple of quick points and we'll look then next at our next point. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 and following. We read this story. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Now, this wasn't his home because he didn't live in Capernaum. It was from somewhere else. This was probably the home of Simon Peter. It says in verse 2, there were many gathered together. So many were told that there was no more room, not even at the door. And so this was a small, ancient, Middle Eastern home packed to the, to the gills with people. They were they were uh, going out the doors and out the windows. There were so many people there. And notice what it says Jesus was doing. He was preaching the word to them. Now, as it turns out, I could never be as good of a preacher as Jesus. Who could? But we believe Jesus is still alive. Let me tell you what else we believe. We believe when his word is proclaimed... As his people have gathered together for worship, as we have today, he still speaks. And so my great hope for this sermon is that Jesus will do a little preaching to your heart today, just like he did to theirs on that day. Look at verse 3. In the midst of this scene, it says, They came, bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men. You picture a stretcher of sorts with a paralyzed man laying on it and four friends at each one at each corner. They could not get near to Jesus because of the crowd, and so they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, and they were questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, Jesus then said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which one's easier? To say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But 
that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Jesus said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And so he rose, he immediately picked up his bed, he went out before them all, so that they were all amazed, and they glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, if you were here last Sunday, we spent our whole sermon on this very passage. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I do want to highlight this one thing. Jesus wants from you the kind of faith he got from them. Who's the them? The four friends and the paralyzed friend they carried on a stretcher. When Jesus saw them, it says he saw their faith. As it turns out, when you live a Christian life, it's visible to other people. It's not something that you can hide. It's something that Jesus saw. He saw their faith. Now, what was it about their faith that made it something Jesus could see? Well, number one, it was a faith that was completely unashamed. They were not embarrassed at the thought that people would see them trying so hard to get to Jesus. Now, listen, if you're willing to knock a hole in the roof and then rappel down with your buddy right there in the middle of that scene, then you're more concerned with getting to Jesus and helping your friend than you are with what other people think about you. But the truth is, this man was crippled, really crippled. A lot of us are crippled by the thought of what other people think about us. But we've been called to have a faith that is unashamed. These men were willing, and then they did do anything they could to get to Jesus. Anything they could, and there was no shame in them. I like to picture what it must have been like. <laughs> of course, you can picture Jesus seated, this, this very excited crowd. You could feel the energy in the room as Jesus was preaching the word to them, and then bits of debris start falling down from the ceiling. Of course, the meeting is interrupted, and they all look up, and next thing you know, a little hole pops up, and sunlight beams through, and probably two little sets of eyes peer over, and they look up, and they're like, hey, that's the guy that lives next door. What's he doing? And then imagine as they lowered their friend down, and Jesus now interacts with him, they were unashamed. Brother and sister, let me ask you, what is it in your life that God is calling you to, but for fear of what other people may think, you struggle to do it? We're called to have a faith that is unashamed. Secondly, about their faith, we can say it was an audacious faith. Audacity is, is what we have when we believe the impossible, the improbable. What we don't think in human terms may can happen, but we believe God can do. That's what these friends believed. Charles Spurgeon said of these men, those who brought this man to Jesus believed that he could and he would heal him. And then Jesus delighted to honor their faith. One other thing I'll say very quickly about the faith Jesus wants from you it needs to be a faith that is adventurous. What's the one key ingredient of an adventure. In my mind, it's this. You're not really sure what's going to happen next. And you just keep going. That's an adventure. And yet, for many of God's people, we work as hard as we can so that we will know what will happen next. 
We don't want anything to rock the boat, no change in plans. Don't ask me to do anything scary or take any risk. But God wants from us a faith that's adventurous, that'll go anywhere Jesus calls us to do. They'll do anything Jesus asks to do. Let me tell you, when those four men woke up that morning, I can promise you, I don't think they had on their mind at all, hey, let's go get our friend, you know, the one who's completely paralyzed. Let's tote his bed to Peter's house and we're going to walk up the outside stairwell. We're going to dig a hole in the roof and lower him down. None of them knew that was going to happen, but their faith compelled them. And so one step after the next, they just kept going on this great adventure that is following Jesus. Let me tell you with 100% confidence what Jesus wants from you. He wants this kind of faith. It's not just a faith reserved for the stories in the Bible. It's a faith intended for your life as well. So brother and sister, get out there. Go on an adventure with Jesus. Be unashamed wherever you go to do what Jesus has called you to do. And when you encounter opposition, have the audacity to believe God can lead me through this. God can do this. I don't see a way. I don't see the resources, but Jesus can do this. So do anything you can to get to him and follow him. Jesus wants your faith today. Let me share with you the second thing that Jesus wants. Not only does he want your faith, he also wants your friends, which is to say, when you come to Jesus, you need to introduce him to your friends that's precisely what happens in the next part of our story. Look with me at, uh, we're in Mark chapter 2. Look at verse 13. All right, so this wonderful miracle has just transpired. This paralyzed man is now completely whole and can walk again. It says in verse 13, Jesus went out again beside the sea. All the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. So picture the scene, right? Jesus goes to a house. All the crowd gathers there and he teaches them. Jesus leaves the house. They all follow him, scurrying wherever he goes, listening as he teaches. This was the scene early in Jesus' public ministry. He's very popular. He was much adored by regular folks. It says in verse 14, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, Follow me. And Levi rose, and he followed Jesus. Now, we know Levi by his other name, Matthew. This is Matthew, the very Matthew that gave us the gospel of Matthew, who would become one of Jesus' greatest and initial followers. And here we read of the conversion experience of Matthew. Matthew was just doing his job one day. He was a tax collector. Listen, nobody likes to pay taxes. And in this day, Jesus' day, nobody liked tax collectors at all. And there's a few reasons why. Not only did they take your money, but they did so on behalf of a foreign government, the Roman Empire, right, who had overtaken the Holy Land. And so the Jews, in a sense, reported to the Romans. And Matthew, right, Levi, he was a Jew, but he was working for the Romans, helping them take money from his own people, the chosen people of God. And so they didn't like this guy. And so as this whole crowd is following Jesus, Jesus pa passes by a guy. Nobody else liked, and he said, I want you. I don't think any of the rest of that crowd wanted Levi. Jesus said, I want you. Follow me. And he dropped everything he had and he started to follow Jesus. It's a beautiful account of what happens when Jesus just radically transforms your life. Many of you know exactly what that feels like because you remember the day that Jesus placed that call on your life 
and you started following him. But it's not so much his conversion that I want to focus on here as I say that Jesus wants your friends, right? He wants your faith. He also wants your friends. Notice what Levi does next, the very next step, right? Jesus says, follow me. He rose, he followed him. Verse 15, as Jesus reclined at table in his house. Now, whose house are we in now? Right? We were in Simon Peter's house, but they left. Now we're in Levi's house, the tax collector. And it says Jesus reclined at table in his house. He was comfortable there. And there were many tax collectors and sinners. They were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus hung out with lost people because he loved them because he was headed to a Calvary where he would die on a cross for them. These are people we would see and go, whoo, they need to get in church. These are people we would see and be uncomfortable with if we were to hang out with them. And Jesus not only hung out with them, he went to them because he loved them. It says that the scribes, verse 16, of the Pharisees, when they saw Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he do this? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Listen, we think hanging out with somebody is pretty important in our day. But back in this day, if you went into someone's house and ate with them, that, that was a symbol of, uh, uh, in a sense of accepting them as a person and, and, and welcoming them and, and almost signing off, as it were, on them as a person. Jesus was not condoning what they did, but he was loving them and trying to reach them. And, and what I want to emphasize here is when Levi got saved, the first thing he did was, Jesus, you got to meet my friends. What you did in my life, you need to do in their life. And he said to his friends, hey, I just met this Jesus. He's unlike anyone I have ever known. He changed my life, and he can do the same for you. So the first thing Levi does, he's got no training. He's never been to a church service per se, but he knows Jesus. First things he does, he holds an evangelistic event at his house. He invites all the sinners that he knows. He says, Jesus, get them. There they are. Save them, Jesus. And do you know what the religious crowd did? Now, let's be careful because that might be us. Let's be careful. They sat over there in the corner with their arms. Oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe he would do something like that with those lost people. Can you believe Jesus letting those lost people do what lost people do? Acting like lost people act. Can you believe that? Jesus loved him. Levi wanted his friends to meet Jesus. When Jesus heard this grumbling in verse 17, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Listen, if you think everything's all right in your life and you have no need of Jesus, he doesn't have much use for you either because he came to call sinners. You, let me tell you why I'm so thankful Jesus doesn't mind hanging out with sinners. It's the best reason I can think of. Because if he didn't, I'd be lost and on my way to hell, and so would you. 
Y'all, we ain't better than anybody. This town needs Jesus. And they need us to be hospitable and, and welcoming and outreaching to them. We can't just sit back from our pews and look out of this community and think, oh my gosh, where is our community headed to? Nobody goes to church anymore. Look, look at what they're doing over here. No, we've got to have an attitude that says, I've met Jesus. He, 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 he wants to meet you. Have you given your heart to Jesus? Jesus wants your faith and he wants your friends as well. He wants to use you to reach them. If you really meet Jesus, then you will want your friends to meet him too. You know, I think a lot of times in our life, it's easy just to say, well, you know, I do want to do outreach and all that, but I need to focus on myself. I want to grow, become more mature as a child of God. And, and then I'll go out and reach the people. Let me tell you something. Your grow will never outpace your go, right? Your, your appreciation for worship, your enjoyment of worship will never be bigger than your sense of mission. And so if you think I'm really good and I really like worshiping, but you're never involved in mission, let me tell you something, you got the wrong idea as to what worship really is. Because what you think you're good at, you're not showing the fruit of that in your life toward lost people. The two go together. We need to reach some folks. Jesus wants our faith and Jesus wants your friends. So let's introduce them. Let's introduce them. Let me, let me get real specific with you, okay? In fact, if some of you don't get bent out of shape at what I'm about to say, then maybe I'm not saying it quite right, okay? Jesus eating in a home with tax collectors and sinners would kind of be like, in our day, Jesus going down to Dick's Wings on Saturday night, if you understand my meaning. Now, a lot of us would be like, what? A, a good upstanding Christian would never go in a place like that where they're drinking and trying to pick each other up and, and, and living like that and sin. But y'all, Jesus didn't come to find the good religious people. He came to find the lost people. And if that gets you bent out of shape, well, get in line behind the scribes and the Pharisees. You'd fit right in with them. Jesus came to save some folks. And y'all, we had better have some urgency in our life about the lost people that we live with, that we interact with. We see them every single day and we just walk by, we pass by, we know they should be in church. No, let's love on them. Let's tell them that Jesus died to forgive them of their sins. That's what they need. And if we think we are better than anyone else, God will judge us. And he may already have started. So God help us to have a heart that is soft and tender toward lost people in our lives because in the same way Jesus wants our faith, he also wants our friends. Let me share you one final point. Moving into Mark chapter 3, Jesus wants your failures. He wants your faith. He wants your friends. Turns out he also wants your failures. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, I think a lot of times we... Uh, we think, well, what Jesus wants is my sacrifice of praise. True, good biblical language. Well, what Jesus wants is me to go to church. 100%, that's right, he does. But often in our minds, I don't know that we'd ever say this out loud or we'd write it down as our official position, but I think often what we do is we think, you know, I need to get my life together. 
I need to live right for at least a few weeks, maybe even a whole month. I need to try to get into a habit of reading my Bible and maybe even work up the courage to mention Jesus to somebody, and then I'll feel comfortable going to Jesus. Once I put in the work, then I'll feel comfortable going to Jesus. But here's what Jesus wants from you. He doesn't want your good works. He wants your brokenness. That's where he works. Let me show you where I get this idea. Look at me at chapter 3. We'll read the first six verses there. It says, again, Jesus entered the synagogue. There was a man there with a withered hand. That's an interesting word for Mark to have used to describe this man's hand. The idea there is it's withered now, but it wasn't always that way. I almost get the impression maybe, maybe this man had had a stroke and lost the use of his arm, or, or maybe he had uh, broken it or hurt it in some way. It used to work. It was injured maybe in some work-related accident. I don't know, but it withered. So it used to be whole. Somewhere along the way, it was broken and never repaired. So Jesus enters the synagogue. There's a man with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus. Who's the they? Well, verse 6 tells us it's the Pharisees, religious leaders of sorts. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal that man on the Sabbath. That's not the sort of thing you do on the Sabbath, according to them. That's reserved for just holy things. And if you do anything, otherwise I'm offended. That's what the Pharisees said. So that they might accuse him. And so Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Is it lawful to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Listen, you don't ever want to get in a debate with Jesus. No one wins that debate. They were all silent. So Jesus looked around at them, and in the most shocking word of this passage, it says he looked at them with anger. And he was grieved at their hardness of heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out. His hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians, another religio-political power group in the area. And they counseled together how they might destroy Jesus. There's two things I want you to see in this final story. Number one, I want you to see Jesus' compassion for the broken. And number two, I want you to see Jesus' condemnation of those who were religious and yet hard-hearted. When we think of Jesus, we think of love, and that's accurate. It's just not comprehensive because there's more to Jesus than just that. Jesus is Savior, right? Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus is also the judge who will execute justice and judgment on those who deserve it. Here in our passage, we see both sides of Jesus, his compassion for the man with the withered hand. We see his condemnation of the others. There's a room full of people. Who does Jesus notice? The broken. The broken, the one who were in that place and didn't think they had anything to offer the one who had a great need, when most people probably would have ignored the man with the broken hand, 
Jesus noticed him. When most people would have not spoken to him, Jesus spoke to him. When most people probably would have tried to sort of stay on the other side of the room, Jesus told the man to come closer. That's Jesus. That's his compassion for the broken. The man had a withered hand. And notice what verse 5 says. Jesus told him to stretch it out. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. It's a very important word. Remember, the hand was withered. And now the hand's not simply cured. It's not simply healed. It's restored, which means this. What you think is broken beyond repair in your life, what you think you have lost and can never get back, Jesus can restore. And that's what he's after this morning. The part of your life maybe you don't want to give him because it's so broken, because you're so hopeless. Jesus says, stretch it out before me and I will restore it. That's his compassion. He extends that compassion to you. Jesus wants to give you your life back. Jesus wants to give you your innocence back. Jesus wants to give you your second chance back. Would you give him your faith today? He always responds to faith. We notice also, though, Jesus' condemnation. And we see it in the words that he was angry. The thought of Jesus' anger puzzles our modern sensibilities. We think of Jesus only as kind and quiet and gentle. But the Bible says on occasion he is angry. And what angered him People in a church service angered him. They were in a synagogue. The church had not been born yet. That would wait until the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. This wasn't the temple. This was the synagogue. It would have been a, a building in a community where Jews would gather together on one day of the week. They'd read from the Old Testament, and certain leaders would offer prayers or even something similar to what we call a sermon, and they worshiped. It was kind of like a church service. Where do we see Jesus getting angry? In a church service where people have hard hearts. God help us that we see his compassion today and not his condemnation. These Pharisees believed in something and yet they were as lost as lost could be. Religious unbelief is the worst kind of unbelief. Just enough religion to make us feel better. Just enough religion to give us a standing in a congregation. But a hard heart towards those who are broken. These Pharisees had no compassion for the man with the withered hand. They had no reverence for the Sabbath they were all up in arms about. No reverence for the law of God which prescribes the honoring of the Sabbath, and there was no passion for worship. This scene describes so vividly why they were there that day. They were there to find something Jesus had done wrong because they didn't like God moving in a way without their permission. 
They didn't like Jesus' popularity. As Jesus' ministry grew, their prominence decreased, and they did not like that. Here's how I want to close our service today. I want you to think about the end of that service, that synagogue service so many years ago. Think about how the different parties involved in this last story left the synagogue that day. The man that had once had a withered hand, he left that church service feeling pretty good. He had met the Savior, and that which was broken in his life, most of all, Jesus repaired it. He gave it back. He restored it. This man left worshiping Jesus. But there were others who left that day. And if you'd ask them, they'd probably say, I didn't get nothing out of the service. They left angry that day because their egos weren't stroked enough. Jesus was getting all the attention. He looked at this guy with a broken, withered hand, not at the leaders. They left that day under the judgment of an angry Jesus. How will you leave our service today? Let me invite you to bow your heads. Jesus wants your faith this morning. Give it to him. If there's something in your life that's broken today, give it to him. Let it go. Quit protecting it. Quit hiding it. Let it go. Give to Jesus in your life that which is broken. He's the only one that can do anything about it. Give it to him. If you're here this morning, you've got friends who are lost. Give them to Jesus today. During our time of invitation, why don't you cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, my child is lost. Jesus, my neighbor is going to go to hell unless you intervene. Maybe you'll pray for them and plead for them today. You give to Jesus what he wants today, and you'll leave this service restored. Father in heaven, we ask for your blessing now in this time of response. God, may your people give you what you want. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Our invitation.